0: Hello and welcome to the Wild Enrichment Podcast. My name is Kyle Banton-Jones and I'll be your host. The Wild Enrichment Podcast is a show about animal welfare, training, enrichment and everything in between. Each episode we will be exploring concepts surrounding behavioral husbandry and the ever advancing field of animal welfare, from interviews with real animal care professionals to educational episodes about new concepts in animal care. This is the Wild Enrichment Podcast, enjoy. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wild Enrichment Podcast. Uh, today, I'm joined by Shane Gorbitt, uh, who's on the board of directors for the Animal Behavior Management Alliance, uh, ABMA. Um, they just actually have their own podcast as of recently, uh, so we're very excited to talk about some really cool things today. Uh, Shane, uh, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Kyle, and thanks for doing a lot of the legwork of getting this going. I'm excited to connect and talk about some fun uh, animal related things with with another animal related podcaster
0: i know there's uh lots and lots of podcasts popping up these days and uh i am you know a big fan of um, your your podcast and uh, everything that uh, you guys are doing over at abma i've been a fan for a really long time and it's really uh sort of impacted some of the stuff that i do at wild Richmond as well so it's uh it's awesome to uh have have you on and uh to chat about some stuff so um yeah we'll uh get into it. Um, Yeah, I'm excited. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, do you want to sort of give maybe um, an overview quickly of sort of like your background and how you got involved in, in the industry to give people some context to what we'll talk about here?
1: Yeah, I think the start of my career has kind of led me in my passions because initially I was going to get my PhD. My undergrad was all in service of that, I was doing research, applied to a bunch of programs, all this stuff. Then I needed a summer job, got a summer job at the Columbus Zoo Aquarium, working with Ambassador Animals at the Animal Encounters Village, and literally fell in love, which mm. made sense because when I was younger, I wanted to work with animals. My idols were watching Jack Hanna, the Crap Brothers, and Zubumafu on mm. TV, Steve Irwin, and all those things. But then as I got older, I had the misconception that it was just being with animals shoveling poop you know cleaning that that yeah, is not yeah, yeah. what a modern zookeeper is at all yeah yeah and i had no idea that there was this whole other layer and i love behavior i fell in love with the training educating the public being able to have these amazing experiences with animals and humans and getting people excited and passionate. So I basically had to tell all my friends, family, my professors that I was completely changing course uh, the last year of college and I went with that. So then I decided to go make my career being an animal care professional. So I did ambassador animals for a while, worked with cheetahs, doing cheetah runs, free contact, training and presentations, worked with pinnipeds, seals and sea lions, Doing shows, training, all those fun things. Now, currently, I work with African animals. And then, along those, uh, along the way, I uh, did a behavior with a radiated tortoise named Ray. He's my favorite animal that I've ever worked mm. with and probably will ever work with. It's one of those animals that just changed my life and my viewpoints and really got me passionate about behavior. And at the time, Someone else that I worked with, my supervisor, did a presentation at ABMA about all the tortoise training we were doing. And from that moment, I got involved with the ABMA. And then in 2021, I applied to be on the board of directors, got elected, and have had a couple of different roles. I was the conference committee co-chair for the 2023 conference that just happened this past year in Atlanta that was with IMATA. And I also am the publications co-chair, so help to put together our training publication called Engage. And Mm. even if you aren't a member of ABMA and you head over to our website, we do have the most recent issue is viewable to everyone. And it's basically other professionals in the field, any kind of training, enrichment stuff that they have, they write an article, provide videos, and uh, add some other really cool resources in there. And then, In February, we launched Animal Behavior Conversations, the podcast of the ABMA. And that came from looking at how do people want to obtain knowledge. Like, my Mm -hmm. biggest passion with joining ABMA and being on the board is helping to spread this knowledge and making the science of behavior change and behavioral husbandry accessible to everybody because I was so fortunate that throughout my career, I've had incredible mentors that have taught me mm-hmm. and made me passionate about it. And so with ABMA, that's one of my personal goals is finding these ways that we can provide resources and allow people to kind of have that mentoring from a different perspective. And so generally on on animal behavior conversations, we take a topic, in the science of behavior change and break it down. That's what mm. currently we're doing. And then it's also evolved a little bit to having other discussions related to the animal care field uh, as well, which has been exciting. So, that brings me to today and being on another podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah, we, I, you know, very happy to have another podcaster on the podcast because it's uh, you're very it's seasoned in the sort of ways of uh, how this is work working because it can be a little, especially virtual. It can be a little bit uh, alarming for people, so it is uh, it's excellent. You got crispy mic quality. It's all it's all great. Um, yeah. That's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an awesome podcast. I'll definitely be linking everything that, that uh, w- we talk about in the, in the show notes for people to check out. Um, so uh, that would definitely w- would recommend people check that out. Um, do you want to sort of give people an overview of what ABMA is and sort of um, like what, what they do? I'm sure if people are landing at this podcast, they've probably heard of ABMA, but just in case they haven't, uh, it would be great to get in a little overview there.
1: Yes, ABMA, Animal Behavior Management Alliance, is a not-for-profit organization that's member-based. So it's animal care professionals or people outside the animal care field that want to better the lives and welfare of animals and specifically looking at behavior. And we talked our our most recent board meeting, which was in October. It was our mid-year board meeting. We talked a lot about like our name, Behavior is more encompassing than training while we talk a lot about training, like behavior is welfare behavior is enrichment behavior is training. So it's all of those aspects of what we're doing and providing resources, spreading knowledge. And the biggest goal with ABMA is that it's because behavior is universal. It's for everyone. So we also have members that are in the domestic community, Mm. dog pet trainers, horse trainers, like all those things. And that's the goal is that we are one community and we can all learn and from each other. So one of the big things that we do every single year is we have an annual conference. So coming up in 2024, it's in Nashville, Tennessee. It's uh, early in April and registration is open right now. And that's bringing tons of people in and we have some really great keynote speakers, but then also just our fellow fellow, animal care professionals that are sharing some amazing stuff Mm -hmm. that they're doing. And beyond that, we are really focusing in the next couple of years. We just had a strategic planning at this most recent meeting, and that was kind of looking at what is our goals for organization. And we have some really exciting ideas down the pipeline. I think one thing that has come from the pandemic is this virtual Mm -hmm. option. And so we're looking into a lot of ways on how we can connect virtually with people to continue to spread that knowledge, to spread the passion, the excitements and the information about behavior. So if you're interested in ABMA, check out the website, I highly suggest you becoming a member. We also have a new community which can allow people to connect with each other a little bit easier and other a ton of other member resources. One of my favorite things is a glossary of terms mm. and that's pretty in depth. And I, mm-hmm. I like that a lot because it just sometimes you just think of things and you look through it and you can kind of understand it a little bit better. But it's a really great organization that is there for those people that want to take those next steps. And I think as in field in general, we're moving towards behavioral husbandry being mm-hmm. that norm like we've we're evolving. And that's becoming more widespread and that's the goal of abma is to provide those resources and to help promote people in doing that in their daily lives
0: yeah no absolutely and it's uh and yeah there's so many important things you know like the power of the internet and like as you just said like it's it's awesome seeing you know more people sort of getting into this space because it's You know, we were just talking before we were recording, like you're probably the only person I've had in my own time zone in the last like in the last seven, eight episodes I've done. Like everybody's like 12 hour difference. Like you're 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 talking to people from all over the world. And and it's such an amazing uh, sort of opportunity to be able to do that because just the um, like like you go zoo to zoo that are right next to your like state or something or your province or whatever. And they're doing things completely different. And when you have uh, all sorts of like cultural differences and, and, and like uh, environmental differences and like, it's amazing to see like how different people are doing it everywhere. And it's, and it's so awesome to have organizations like ABMA that are, Sort of making those things accessible, and um, you know, it's it's like the conferences are super diverse, where the people are coming from, and 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 speaking from, and uh, and and joining from. So it's yeah, it's really cool to to sort of be able to see some of those some of those efforts.
1: And that's one thing that at ABMA we really focus on is being that space where everybody can feel comfortable sharing those thoughts and maybe you do things differently, but being able to have those discussions and I can't even tell you how many times in my life that someone has said something opposite of what I thought. And then Mm -hmm. after the discussion, it's either like, yeah, that makes sense. Or you have a new understanding, taking those two ideas, especially when we're talking about behavior management and animals, like they, what works with one, is completely different for another and you can mm-hmm. have so many different understandings and also one thing that we are making a push for is also helping to be a place that we can bind this global community as well because yeah. like you said you're you're 12 hours apart there's people all over the world that are doing these things and we have our own you know regional organizations and finding a way to connect all of us and i think this virtual option things like podcasts are great mm-hmm. ways that we can bind that community and we're with our publication we're in the process of starting to translate some of them into other languages mm. as well which you know it's i would love to be able to have someone translate a podcast into another language yeah that's it, it'd be amazing maybe someday uh but i think it's just everything that we can do to bring people in is only gonna make the animals lives better and our community is stronger.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you forget sort of like how many zoos and sanctuaries and, and stuff there is all over the world. And like, you know, uh, <clears throat> like I, like I've been fortunate in my career to work with a lot of, uh, you know, organizations that have sort of larger budgets and, and more infrastructure and like, all those things that you can really sort of foster a lot of that in internal knowledge by having sort of specialist positions and and all those things but a lot of organizations like you know the 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 manager of uh, welfare and the behavioral husbandry you know it coordinator and and all these people are like one person you know like their social media gu- guy like they're they're all just one person and they're also a keeper and like having these organizations that you can go to for free or, or very little money and being able to sort of access a lot of that, a lot of that knowledge and resources that normally in a larger organization would take an individual doing that job. Like it's, it's super important. I think, you know, uh, even what I've experienced in, in wild Richmond like seeing like sanctuaries in Vietnam with like posters of my stuff up on the walls and like, you know, people have translated them and it's like the, these are, are, are normally, uh, you know, institutions that wouldn't have sort of access or easy access to a lot of those things. It's, it's yeah, it's so important to sort of be utilizing uh, the internet and how, how easy it is to get information out to, to those, especially uh, organizations, you know. I love that because
1: that's why we created a podcast with ABMA was to be that, be a place where people, if they're wanting that knowledge, and they maybe don't have access to it. They don't have that person in their own facility that it can be a way. And I, one of the things that I've loved is there are people that have messaged me, emailed me, and talk talking with them and helping to be that gap. And then getting a message back and being like, "Yeah, I tried this and it went great," and becoming mm-hmm. investing in people. Because I mean we're here for the animals, but we're also here for the people and the people are so important. And by taking care of our people, we're only going to give our animals better lives. And by making our people passionate and knowledgeable and Mm -hmm. people that are willing to go that extra mile to push those boundaries, the field's going to be in a
0: great place in the future
1: when, Mm -hmm. as we
0: keep doing that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I would love to hear sort of, uh, because podcasting, you know, for me, I'm on, you know, episode, you'll probably be like episode 53 or something like that, 54. Um, I, I've, I've learned a staggering amounts just from having a diverse range of guests on. And the thing that I've learned the most, I'm going to ask you, you know, what you have learned. I'll go first though, because, you know, um, I, I think, uh, Asking questions is super hard. I don't know if you found this with podcasting too, but like doing interviews is actually really, really hard. And uh, it's it's you know thinking about better questions to ask, and and all those these things have been uh, you know super interesting and and really uh, beneficial for me. I think um, so. I'm sure I, I'd love to hear some of the stuff that sort of you've learned from from having a podcast. One thing that
1: podcasting is definitely. Helped me a skill that's helped me to hone is being an active listener.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Being that engaged and like actually having your brain focused on listening, and being able to ask those questions and have that personal touch and having those things, like you said, you we have questions and sometimes when you're having a live discussion interview, the conversation goes another way i mean Mm -hmm. i can tell you my podcast the goal was to be 20 to 30 minutes and anybody that's listened to my podcast sometimes they are very long yeah one is because i love this stuff i'll talk to people about it all day long but also just sometimes this conversations go so active listening has been a big one and another thing that i think that i have personally learned I'm trying to tell people is that we have some incredible leaders in this field some experts people that have done amazing things. And I can also tell you that they are also great people that are here the same reason that we are. They want to be that resource they want to share. And so I think I've learned that not being afraid to reach out to those people and understanding that they want to help this field. The people that are still actively involved after years and years, they are involved because they want to be. And Mm -hmm. so really just it's highlighted how this is, a very strong community that we all have. We have a common goal and it is to give animals that are under our care the best life we possibly can by being willing to change our ways to think big to continue to evolve and progress. And I think that's been really cool to see that all these people are accessible to us as a community and together we're going to continue to do great things.
0: Mm-hmm. No, and I think that's a fantastic point because um, I've I've abs- that's absolutely been my experience, especially with this podcast, like to a T. Like, if if you uh, you know the audience is ever on the fence about you know you see someone post something really cool on Facebook or LinkedIn, and you're like, how how do they do that? Like, I have so many questions, and you're on the fence about asking those people a, a question, shooting them an email, you know, whatever it is, like don't don't be on the fence about it i have never i mean there's been plenty of people that have ghosted my emails i'm not going to sit here and say <laughs> that there hasn't but the everybody that i have encountered in this industry has been so open and so excited to talk about the stuff that we all love and and that we like they're the reason you know they all have the same sort of reason as you said like we're all here for the animals we're all here because we because we love it and and everybody is so generous with their with their time and their knowledge and and it's it's fantastic and all it typically takes is like being the one to sort of like step across and 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 ask the question. You know, that's all. That's all it ever takes. You know. Mm-hmm. And you'll be hard hard pressed to find
1: a field and a group of people that are more passionate than us. Yeah. For for good and for bad, sometimes like there's we have to take care of ourselves too. But mm-hmm. we are yeah. the animals become our family. This does. Occupy a lot of our brains and a big reason I believe is because we are so passionate mm-hmm. about it and that goes from the person who has just started all the way up and by harnessing those passions we can continue to do exactly what we talked about give animals the best life and mm-hmm. continue to make this field amazing and to show people in the public that this is important that the reason that we are caring for these animals is important it's for species preservation one of my favorite things that the last year that has come is when mark simmons did his talk at abma and he talked about how changing like we're not zookeepers we're species preservationists that's mm. what we're doing that's what we're here for that's what a mod a modern zoo is doing and harnessing and with that in mind it has really shaped the importance of what we do to me and how we can show people that are outside of this field as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I've definitely noticed, um, you know, in that sort of vein, like I, I think, and this is happening sort of in animal welfare as well, but like it, it used to be, especially with conservation in in zoos and and saying you're a conservation organization, I think, you know, we've gotten away as an industry for a long time about saying that. But, like, now it's it's like, okay, well, how can we actually, like, make a difference and really, like, make an impact and, and really actually change things? Like, we're not just organizations that are giving out, you know, checks to a couple other organizations every single year. Like, it's, like, really, like, you know, what are we actually doing and, and changing when it comes to conservation? I, I would – I'd love to hear sort of, like – what you think the sort of next, the sort of final frontier of that's going to be and like what the sort of future looks like for, for conservations in zoos.
1: I think that when I, when you were talking, I was thinking about conservation, like that's the next step. And, you know, as someone who is part of animal behavior management Alliance, and that's what I think about a lot and focus Mm. a lot on, I think kind of one of those next frontiers that it's happening is becoming like this science-based zoo as well Mm -hmm. so looking at the science of behavior change applying all those principles to do cooperative care with our animals to use that as forms of enrichment to provide those enriched experiences and lives purposeful lives to animals and looking at the science of welfare i mean 10 years ago i don't know if every single zoo was doing welfare assessments. I know I wasn't when I first started. Yeah, absolutely. And look at, like, that is a very vital thing. And I think that is going to also continue to evolve as we all start learning from every single level of animal care of what that looks like and what we can do. Mm -hmm. And I think that those things are only going to strengthen the conservation side, the species preservation Mm -hmm. of what we're doing, especially, like, there's so many cool things that have happened and are going to happen. Like, I see a I see a future where. Leaders in our field that are doing this with animals that are living in zoos, aquariums, sanctuaries are able to give advice and to help animals out in nature. Mm -hmm. Like there's already been tons of things with research. We've learned so much about animals by being able to observe them or do training in a zoological setting but there's also like ken ramirez teaching elephants a new migratory pattern so Mm -hmm. that they wouldn't get poached like my brain exploded right now i'm just doing the (laughs) yeah (laughs) like that's amazing and i do think that there are tons of opportunities for that in the future as we use the resources that we have to be able to impact legislation to be able Mm -hmm. to impact how we're protecting how we are making sure that these wild spaces are adequate and appropriate for the species that we're trying to save i think all of it really does come together and i know i've said it a couple times because i do think like that's the the goal of a modern zoo Mm -hmm. are all of those things Mm -hmm. and all of them are not separate everything you know we talk about training enrichment husbandry those things aren't separate They're all part, they're parts of a whole. And I think that expands out to an entire organization and to our field as well.
0: Yeah, no, I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And yeah, it's, it's really like, you know, as you said, with the, with the welfare assessments and it's, it's less about doing the welfare assessments now and more about, okay, you have this assessment, like, what are you going to do to, to make it. So the next one that you Mm -hmm. do is even, is even better. And that's the exact same thing. You know, that, that Ken Ramirez uh, example is a fantastic example of you know, actually really utilizing uh, the resources from a zoo or an organization and actually like making a difference as opposed to, you know, just handing a check to a sort of, elephant conservation organization for example like that's a that's an example of oh we can actually you know maybe we send people maybe we bring people from that animal sanctuary like over here and and those kind of things like that's really like tangible conservation that's really going to i think uh you know really define what we do as an industry you know
1: and i do also think that the example with ken ramirez is incredible this huge huge win like one of the biggest wins of recent memory of being able to non-invasively help save a species. But at the same time, I do also think that for me, I'm viewing what we're doing in our daily care, mm-hmm. a very similar thing. Like we, you look at something and you say, you know what, this isn't optimal well-being for an animal. How can we change that? And using behavior management to improve the life of one animal. Is a win, like looking at how we can continue to give animals voices, how we can continue to give them choices, how we can continue to put them in the driver's seat of their life. All those things by using behavioral husbandry. Mm -hmm. I think every single time we do that, I think people should also feel that power of what they're doing, that every time that we take ourselves out of it and put the animal first and are able to provide them with the resources they need, the learning that they need, the environment that they need, that is also incredibly important as well.
0: Yeah. And, and I'd love to talk a little bit sort of, uh, you know, you, you touched on, you know, the day-to-day sort of what you can do as a keeper to really, you know, benefit the animals you're work with, working with and, and to sort of impact behavior and, and the outcomes associated with them. I'd love to hear, you know, now that you've worked in a number of institutions and that now that you're more sort of um, actively involved in an education company, like what do you think is sort of missing from the sort of, uh, you know, keeper training and, and, and general sort of knowledge that you see a lot of people like, uh, coming to sort of maybe ABMA or uh, other institutions to sort of like really get a handle on what do you think is missing there?
1: Well, I think one thing that when people ask me, how did you get this job? What did you study? and university and college. And I think that's one thing that sometimes we maybe forget about is most of us that have done biology or zoology or animal science, we've learned about animals. And even if you take psychology classes, but there is no way to get an education after your primary school to prepare you Mm -hmm. for that. Like it's, there's not really those options other than organizations like Park or santa fe like these colleges that are specifically focused on that so i think sometimes just thinking back to you know we are gonna teach the basics the fundamentals the the fundamentals are so important and i actually believe it was ken ramirez that said something similar to this where he said like the the best trainers are the ones that do the fundamentals at an extremely elevated level, mm. and so I think is focusing on all of those, looking at your ABCs, looking at the communication. I think that's a big thing: is that helping people that are newer understanding that this is dialogue between you and the animal. Every single mm. thing that we're doing is communication to them. Every time you are near them, interacting with them, we are engaging with them they're learning from that experience we're learning from that experience and so just having that lens of behavior is all around us it's happening all Mm -hmm. the time and also i think having that those conversations of the animal is doing this on purpose right that this animal is being a quote-unquote jerk right now they are they're they're quote-unquote testing me in this moment like all these things and helping people that are newer into this industry looking at, you know, what is reinforcing this behavior? Mm -hmm. Like one of my favorite saying is you get what you reinforce. Mm -hmm. And if you think about in your human life too, the exact same thing is true. Everything that you do is behavior as well. So I think that we're starting to be able to talk a lot about the science and giving those, Mm -hmm fundamentals earlier and that's one thing that at abma we're really passionate about is being that resource that you know you're in college even like that's one thing we're talking a lot about is how can we get this information to people before they even are entering the field so they can have this Mm -hmm. understanding and know what they are going into and they can start their first job and be like yeah i understand what antecedents are i understand what punishment versus reinforcement is and all those things. So uh, finding those ways to get those resources and definitely through ABMA, we're like I said, we have a lot of really exciting things I'm excited about in the next couple of years that we're going to hopefully be launching that will provide even more opportunities for people to connect. And I also do think it's a long answer, but I keep thinking of yeah. other things that I like to say, but for sure. using organizations like abma using your connections talking with other people like i said we 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 don't really learn this stuff in school we're learning this Mm -hmm. on the job from other people so using other people and talking to them be like hey like have you ever done this before like have you had an experience like this and like i haven't done that but i with this animal this has worked and all those things like i love when i see those really positive messages on social media that are saying hey I am really looking for some goal-based enrichment for this species. Anybody have any ideas Mm -hmm. or I'm looking to train a voluntary so-and-so. Does anybody have ideas, cooperative behavior, et cetera. And so, and seeing the amount of people that are coming to that, like I'd love to see that become our norm. Like that's what we're discussing all the time. We're celebrating our wins. We're asking questions. We're supporting each other. I think all those will continue to help us as people in the field grow and the field in
0: general. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I think it's so important, like you mentioned earlier, um, you know, learning a lot of this stuff, like you kind of have to learn on the job and, 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 uh, you know, you hit the nail on the head with, uh, you know, sort of interpreting and also describing animal behavior is probably one of the skills that I see, uh, lacking the most when people initially first start is it the, the sort of, knee jerk reaction is to say like exactly what you said, like this animal's being a jerk, or they were mad, or they were, you know, and it's like these aren't these aren't these are not really things that you can use to describe it's actually like a huge pet peeve of mine when people come up to me and are like, well this animal was being a jerk and like the and, and it's like, well that's not what was happening. It was it was, you know, reacting to its environment and it was exhibiting a behavior that you interpreted as being a jerk, not the other way around. So it's uh it's absolutely a huge pet peeve of mine and, and something that I think um, it, it definitely takes a lot of time and a lot of practice to sort of uh, get good at, it, especially with taxa that you might not be as familiar with. So um, yeah, and that's exactly when you need the sort of uh, experience of the, of others around you to, to really hone in on those things. Cause there's often not a sort of textbook that you can just look in and be like, why is the tortoise doing this? And it's, it's sort of, you gotta, gotta know somebody that knows a lot of the time.
1: And if you ever
0: listen to animal behavior,
1: po- if you ever listen to animal behavior conversations, or if you do later, you're going to hear me personally say this a lot because I really believe in it. We've had multiple episodes on it. One of my, not even want my first mentor, Vador Stilard, we had an episode. He like really helped me when I was younger in my career to think about what i'm saying and what i'm Mm. thinking the importance of how we talk and think about our animals and the behavior we're doing is so important you don't think about it but one thing that i personally do is saying we're gonna give this animal the choice to shift out instead of just being like Mm -hmm. we're gonna go shift them out we're gonna Mm -hmm. kick like even saying like you know kick the animal out to yard two right like you know we're not kicking we're not we're not kicking the animal but just that thought process of being like we're going to give them the choice to do this and knowing that we're we mean it too that we're going to set this environment up that hopefully we've made that something that they're going to choose to do but we've also Mm -hmm. given them the option to say no and respecting that as well and once we start doing that all the time we view the animals i think a little bit differently it helps us to look at their behavior and look Mm -hmm. at them like as an individual that has a range of choices and outcomes that they can control and choose and do. And it also helps us to be the ones that are looking at, you know, like when, when an animal does a behavior we're not looking for, the first thing is, all right, well, how can we give them better communication? How can we set whatever we're doing up better to communicate to them of what Mm -hmm. we're hoping that they'll do or, and slash, or, What is reinforcing that behavior if it keeps happening? Because Mm -hmm. the animal isn't just doing it to mess with you. There's a consequence there that is reinforcing that behavior or punishing the behavior that you are hoping that they'll do. And by thinking in those terms, Mm -hmm. that is really how I would suggest it because it's going to help you become a better behaviorist and learn to read the animal like you're talking about, which is a -hmm. skill that is you that is difficult you're going to learn it as you go and as you start knowing your animals really well you're going to start to be able to read them better and
0: predict yeah maybe
1: a little bit better about that communication they're giving you
0: yeah and 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 i think um one of my first first of many sort of uh training revelations for me was uh you know like i i remember one of the first sort of training lessons i was getting like Uh, the individual I was working with um, was, you know, we were talking a little bit about how you sort of communicate because, because I always, especially, you know, at the beginning of my career, it was, you know, getting to the point of a finished behavior. You're always like, where, where do you start in, in actually, you know, getting this animal to, to the, to understand the first approximation to like this crazy behavior that you're planning on. And, and they explained it to me like, if, if you were to give me directions to the nearest Tim Hortons, I'm going to use a Canadian example for you. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, and I didn't speak English and I didn't really understand a lot of hand gestures. Like, what would you, what would you do? You know? And, and thinking about like that sort of, oh, well, you know, immediately you're like, you're, you're trying to think of like, what, what you can do. And eventually you sort of break it down do you get to sort of common ground and then and then you're building on that until you have directions to Tim Hortons in your your stuff and Timbits in your mouth. Um, but uh, and yeah, it's 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 such an interesting um, thing communicating with animals. And it's it's amazing what you can sort of accomplish uh, with those sort of small steps.
1: Yeah. Uh, first off, I will say it's funny because I grew up in Ohio, spent most of my life there. We have Tim Hortons everywhere. Oh. <laughs> uh, then I'm in Florida for like my other adult life has been in Florida. No Tim Hortons anywhere. So uh,
0: honestly, you're not uh, missing out on much. I, I, maybe I'll get Canadian hate for that, but Tim Hortons is overrated, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, snap. I'm glad this is your podcast and not my podcast. <laughs> yeah. Dropping yeah. That, that hot take on. <laughs> yeah. That's
1: all. Yeah. When you were talking, I was thinking about. Some examples, and one that comes to mind for me of like listening to an animal and looking at them and what they're communicating was uh, one of my favorite animals, Chitzy the sea lion. I was working with him with mm. another one of my coworkers, Ellie. We were teaching her to excuse me, we were teaching him, he's a male sea lion, <laughs> to lay down and get a cooperative cooperative care voluntary X ray of his back, mm. his um, like his hip region. And for a lot of animals, especially for a male sea lion who lived in a social group that had other male sea lions, your back is is a vulnerable place. Mm. And we actually had seen this. He uh, initially lived at another facility for the first 13, 12 or 13 years of his life. And we actually saw this a lot with this specific animal that things around his back were not his... Not his favorite. Through his behavior, he showed us that that was not always really a comfortable position for him. And we're doing this behavior for a while, and it was just not really making progress. And the training session was like, approximation, approximation, something else, approximation, approximation. So in that moment, you you have to think, it's like that light bulb of, all right, well, this isn't working. Let's listen to him we know that from his past behavior that things around his back are not always the most positive situation for him. So then looking at it with, all right, well, what let's set up communication with him that lets him know that when you're in this setup, that we have everything, the way that you're set up, you're going to go on this x-ray plate. We're going to do thing. That's, that's your one time. And then after Mm -hmm. that, the consequence of doing that one time, great is going to be, some fish, but ultimately it's also going to be, you're not going to come back. We're not, not going to do it again. We're going to go out to our stage area, which is highly reinforced, and do some more dynamic behaviors and not come back to it. So he started like giving him this communication that this is your, like I'm anthropomorphizing a little bit, but like this mm. is your one time. You sit and you do this one time, and then we're going to go and not come back to it in this session. And I tell you what, it was incredible Mm. to see how fast he got that behavior once we took a step back and just said like let's set up a communication between you and me Mm -hmm. like this is the one time you're doing it and it was crazy it was like under two weeks after months of trying to do it and i think that was a great example of like one of those light bulb moments of you know we some animal and like in some animals though that's our other male sea lion nana he was like, "Give me that next approximation. Let's keep going. Like, mm-hmm. let's yeah. let's keep learning. Let's do it. All those things, and just knowing that they're all individuals and mm-hmm. that that communication that they're giving us and that we can set up with them can be really powerful."
0: Yeah, yeah, and I'd love to uh, talk a little bit about relationship building because I think you know that's it's such an important uh, key thing that develops when you sort of have that uh, communication. Uh, you really start to unlock that sort of relationship building and then your sort of like trust bank and all these things. Uh, I'd love to hear sort of how you go about and like, sort of initially think about relationship building with, you know, maybe a new animal or, uh, I, and especially with a, maybe an underrepresented species. Cause you mentioned, uh, like Ray, the radiated tortoise, um, in your, in your first, uh, answer there. So I'd love to hear sort of how you think about that.
1: It's, Interesting because I the third episode of uh Animal Behavior Conversations, which is really the first one diving into these topics. So the first one was introduction to me, the second one was introduction to ABMA. The first like real one diving in was describe relationship in one just excuse me, describe training in one word, relationships. Mm. And that was actually said to me by one of my former mentors who's also heavily involved in ABMA. Justin Gardner, I was actually mentoring someone else. And he asked me that question. My mentee said, Mm. if you could describe training in one word, what would you say? I don't even remember what I said. But then we asked Justin, who was our supervisor at the time, and he said relationships, and it was like, you're right. It's so like that is the foundation of what we're doing. And having that relationship is going to open up so much for you and for the animals that you're working with mm. because it is all about communication it's setting up these scenarios where they feel safe i mean we talk about well-being and animal emotions in our current times and you know i always tell people like every day what we do is we want our animals to experience when they see us and we're doing things or when we they go to their habitat like we want them to have these emotions of Happiness, excitement, joy, just like as a human, everything, most of the things that we do in our daily lives, we are searching for those things that give Mm. us those same positive Mm -hmm. emotions. Like it's not always going to happen. Life is not always sunshine and rainbows, but like that's what we are doing. Our behavior ourselves as humans, we're trying to get those things as well. So by building that relationship, like that's just so fundamental of them Mm -hmm. having that with you and especially you talked about underrepresented species or animals with like training I and mean, Ray was this, uh, that was the end. Like I t- say he's my favorite animal because that animal I learned with, like I mm-hmm. learned, we learned, I learned so much from him. His story was basically that he had to have an emergency surgery and he was newer. He, to he's an ambassador animal where I worked, but previously he just was on a habitat. So he didn't really have a ton of interactions with humans. And one of his first things he had to do was get a needle on his neck to mm. have this emergency surgery. And from that moment, like every single time he saw a human completely in the shell, right? Like that was, and it wasn't ideal for an animal that wasn't in, like even just in his, even if he wasn't an ambassador, like it, you're as an animal. Yeah, you're going to be around humans. So it was to me, I was like, how can we give him communication that humans are safe, that humans are something that isn't going to cause this behavior of hiding in your shell? So what I ended up doing was I brought him inside to our break room every single day during lunch for months. Mm. And put him, put him down, and put his favorite, like, put grapes and tomatoes, his favorite reinforcers, on the ground, and just did that. And I'm not gonna lie, it took a couple of months mm-hmm. for him to even like start coming out. He was always in it. Then you know he slowly started coming out, started eating, and I still remember the first time he came out, and we all cheered, and then he went <laughs> right, right, right back in, and we're like, oh no. Uh, and then then he came out and the first time he touched food to eat it, he went because he was he didn't have that trust. He didn't mm. have that safety. And then eventually, like he started eating. I started moving closer to him. And then, you know, you built we built up. My hand is going to bring the food in. Then I'll leave. Then I'll come back. And then he started walking around the break room area or inside area. He started exploring more. And then at that point, because we had built that relationship, we could start doing the training and the behavior we could start eating from our hands. We trained him to keep his his keep his head out while he was people were coming near him, while they were touching him, while they were picking him up, all these things. Then later, fast forward to the next the following summer, he learned to do this behavior where he would come out onto our stage by himself, door opening was the queue. He'd come over and we had a ramp for penguins to run down. And since he there were stairs. He couldn't go on stairs, trained mm. him to slide down the ramp and then come over to the edge of the stage and be reinforced to allow guests to touch him. And mm. this tortoise went from a human stepping near him in his shell to guests, tons of kids touching him while mm-hmm. he's out there, actively choosing to stay out of the shell and doing that. And then fast forward to today and it's almost impossible to clean with him because he just is like interacting with humans all the time. Yeah, and like, yeah. now he's like so confident. He tries to flip humans. Like he's like, <laughs> you know, the tortoise, like I'm going to flip you and do yeah, all these yeah. things. And so I always think about that. Like relationship is so important. It's going to look different mm-hmm. for every single animal that you're doing. But ultimately, like I would just say listening to them. And by that, I mean, looking at their behaviors that if, and not pushing it, right? Like you want Mm -hmm. to be close to these animals, but if you have an animal that is by their behavior is visibly uncomfortable, they're, you know, they're snarling, they're Mm -hmm. slinked down, all these things of not taking it too fast, like understanding, like, yeah, I'm going to take this small win. Here's food. Here's a reinforcer. Here's Mm -hmm. something that you enjoy. And then maybe I'm going to step away and then build up, like looking at it, a relationship as an approximation is also a great way to build Mm -hmm. it, but you know, it's going to look different for every animal too.
0: Yeah. And, and and love relationship talk. Absolutely. And, and realistically from like a welfare standpoint, like there's few things that you're going to do for an animal to impact their welfare positively, than make their relationship with people positive. Like think about Mm -hmm. like your tortoise example, like that welfare flip, that probably happened for ray was was probably absolutely insane like going from fear every single time a person entered a, uh, his enclosure which is probably a couple times a day so going going from fear a couple times a day to oh, look, this is a, a thing that I have a positive relationship with. You know, they give me, they give me food. I'm excited. Like it, it, it was probably an absolutely mind blowing uh, flip for that, that individual animal. So I like, what are you going to do as a keeper? That's going to have that sort of uh, complete 180 in their welfare state. Like that's, it's such a huge impact that that could have.
1: And I think another thing that I would like to say is to encourage people to, think outside the box. And if you have an idea, like if you're in that situation, like it's funny that you said the welfare because back, back then I sound old, but we, at least for where my experience is we weren't talking about welfare assessments. Mm -hmm. Like we weren't thinking in those exact terms, but those terms and those ideas have been around forever. Now Mm -hmm. we kind of have this word that we're in a way we're thinking about it. But by thinking of those things and just sometimes you have to think outside the box and try i mean my it's so funny my supervisors after it happened they were like if we can be honest with you we did not think that was going to work at all especially because yeah. <laughs> it was like it was two or three months for him mm-hmm. to even come out of a shell yeah but they were like you were so passionate about it that we didn't want to break your spirit so we kept letting you do it but mm-hmm. then when it started working it was kind of just like holy moly yeah this is and this is crazy. Like it was such a flip. And so I just telling people that thinking outside the box, every animal is different. Everything that we can do, like sometimes you just have to think differently and that can have a huge impact.
0: Yeah. And, and one thing I will say about relationship is as well in is particularly in a zoo, it doesn't just, uh, it's not just about the animals and their relationship, the relationship with the uh, people between people is, is so important to your success in your career and your day-to-day welfare at your job, you know, investing in relationships in your team, uh, in other people in the zoo and other departments of the zoo will pay absolute dividends, uh, for your welfare, for your job, for every single thing. And I, I think, you know, uh, we, we tend as animal people to, to sort of have these concepts that we put on the animals, but we don't really shine it back on our, on ourselves. And I think this is a great one. Like, you know, relationship building is so important, not just for the animals, it's also for the people you work with. So
1: <laughs> yeah, it's so important to have all of that. And I think also to encourage people to also th- not think about relationship building as just food, right? Mm-hmm. Relationship is not food, like food is love is a thing sometimes. Yeah, uh, it is to some extent, but there's so much more beyond that, that you can look at and dive into of, When I'm like, for example, you an animal like always eats out of a bucket and Mm. you're walking to not this animal, and but you start watching their behavior that every single time you're coming near them, they're coming up and they're like, let's go, it's time for this. And then you walk away and you know, thinking about small stuff like that, like, okay, well, maybe I will take the little bit longer way
0: around so Mm. I'm not
1: going past them. And like, just little things like that can also make a huge impact that's not just food-based.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and relationships and, and your day-to-day routine are uh, absolutely huge and and can have such an impact on the animals' lives that are there, you know, 24 hours a day. You get to leave, they don't, so it's definitely something that's super and super important to, to think about and to be, you know, thinking about, you know, constantly throughout your, your career and everything you work with, but uh, um, yeah, so, you know, I, I think I think we covered some really interesting topics around relationship building, um, uh, some really cool stuff about ABMA. Um, do you have any sort of final plugs or, or, or takeaways or anything you want to sort of impart on the audience before uh, before we wrap up?
1: Who oh, put me on the spot. I need some <laughs> Tim Hortons coffee to get there. Just kidding. I had to throw Tim Hortons in there. Some, you don't way. need Tim
0: Hortons coffee. It's fine.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just think that the biggest thing that I hope people just in today's current climate is to keep following your passions Mm -hmm. to, to keep being passionate and to keep learning, keep pushing like the, I really do think that the future of a modern zoo is really bright and it's going to come down to all of us that are working with these animals every single day to do all of those things and to think big, to keep, progressing on you know this has not this is how we've done something before well how can we do this cooperatively this is how we've done this before how can we give the animal control to say yes or no in Mm -hmm. this situation i think all of those things are very achievable for every single one of us and it's only going to happen by those people that are quote-unquote, in the trenches every day, the ones that are Mm -hmm. with those animals that are doing these training, doing these behaviors. And I know we can do it too. I know that the... the, (laughs) To quote Michael Michael Jordan, the ceiling is the floor. and I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have a ceiling. There is so much that we can do by Mm -hmm. building relationships, by thinking about training and behavior in the right ways by not having our concepts, like you said earlier, about a specific animal or a specific species. I mean, think about all these amazing things that are happening with species that were, quote unquote, untrainable mm-hmm. yeah. years and years ago and what we're seeing happen behavior wise. So just love all of that. And just once again, if you are interested, head on over to ABMA. We have resources that are available for people that aren't members of ABMA, but If you want to become a member of ABMA, there's a lot of really great things in a community there that you can find people that are similar to what you're looking for and are there to help.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's a fantastic resource and I've used it many times myself. I'll definitely link it in the show notes as well as everything that we've uh, talked about. Um, If the audience enjoyed this conversation, there'll be a part two. What? And uh, that will be where the sort of roles are a little bit reversed here and I'll be coming on the ABMA podcast uh, and we will be having, you know, a conversation to build on the one that we've just had. So if you'd like that, uh, definitely look out for uh, that episode as well. I'm sure we will end up linking it all together. Uh, so you can easily find it. Um, but Shane, it was awesome uh, talking to you. Uh, it was awesome uh, virtually meeting you. Uh, it's been a fantastic conversation. And I look forward to our next one.
1: Yes. Thank you so much. Once again, I love being able to nerd out about behavior and interrelated things in any context.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Me too. So uh, thank you everybody for listening and uh, thank you, Shane. Uh, until next time. We hope you enjoyed that episode of the Wild Enrichment Podcast. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us at Wild Enrichment on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest. If you want to learn more about Wild Enrichment and see some of our great resources, check out www.wildenrichment.com. Also, if you wish to support Wild Enrichment, check out our Patreon. Again, thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Wild Enrichment is independently owned and claims no affiliation to any zoo, aquarium, or other animal care institutions. All of the information and opinions communicated through this podcast, wildenrichment.com, and affiliated social media accounts are based on my own opinions and experiences and are not in any way reflective of the opinions of my employers past or present. Thank you.